Hello, Let Me Listen podcast listeners. Would you like this part of the podcast to be filled with ads for shaving clubs or underwear clubs or web hosting sites? Yeah, I didn't think so. Neither do we. So this is just a quick announcement to let you know that after several requests from fans, um, Let Me Listen podcast has opened a Patreon page. So if you would like to help support this show and uh, the, some of the other shows that uh, Let Me Listen podcast produces, then please go to patreon.com slash lemme underscore listen and make a pledge or just click the Patreon link on the Let Me Listen website. We're only asking for $1 a month and the funds will go to making these podcasts better and ad-free. If you can't or just don't want to, don't worry about it. We still love you. And uh, thanks for listening. A podcast we'd like to recommend is the Pre-Review Podcast with the Celluloid Stallions. Every week, TNT pre-review an exciting new release and a movie podcast that thoroughly dissects movies regardless of them being released or not. No movie is safe. Unless these horses' asses haven't heard of it. You can find the Pre-Review Podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for the Pre-Review Podcast. Another podcast we like is Best Movie Never. A producer and screenwriter force guest filmmakers to dig out their old screenplay ideas out of the trash to be dissected, mocked, and possibly revived. Join Brad and Matt as they delve into the minds of movie makers in search of the craziest, far-fetched, worst, or possibly best movie ideas that never made the jump from page to picture. You can find Best Movie Never on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as on their website at bestmovienever.biz. When you grow up, your heart dies. Who cares? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, Steve and I get into a time machine and go back in time and we go to those filmmakers who are making films that everyone considers a classic and we look at the films and we go, you deserve what, the reputation that you have in the future. And they're like, who are you? Where did you come from? And then we give them a medal. Or if we look at the film that they're making and it turns out to be a big pile of crap, we punch, punch them in the face. Then we, we go further back in time and we erase them from the timeline so that the movie's never made. Right, Steve? Yeah, and if you guys, the, the awful movies we have erased from history... I mean, you really should thank us. Yeah. See, uh, last show, I did three weird metaphors for what we do on the show. And so this year, uh, this year, this <laughs> this show, I've decided um, I'm only going to do one. I'm never going to take it back. And I'm going to stick with it no matter how little sense it makes. So I'm glad that Steve's on board for this weird, bizarre metaphor that I just came up with. It's the American way. Yeah. Uh, for people who are confused, they're like, are they time travelers? I, I thought this was a movie review show. I'll, I'll explain it. Steve and I take a classic film, and that can be classic as straightforward, or classic in parentheses, <laughs> and we give it a fresh review and see if it holds up um, over time, and it deserves the reputation that it's garnered, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this week, Steve and I have decided to take a look at a film about high school drama <laughs> generational differences between boomers and gen xers that works right it's close enough yeah this week we're going to take a look at what some people have called the quintessential 80s film the 
Breakfast Club. Yay. You don't sound enthusiastic with that yay, dude. Yay! That's better, because that's what everyone did at the end of the movie in the 80s when this was over. When <laughs> Jed Nelson sticks his fist up yeah. in the air for no reason on the football people, everyone went, yay! It is the 80s, and the 80s are good. This movie understands my white people problems. <laughs> it's it's the movie that is the voice of a generation. An awful, awful generation. <laughs> Whoa! Wait a minute. I'm sorry. You was, step that, off, son. That was... <laughs> that's my generation that was, you're that, talking about. That was below the belt. It's, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's pretty much my generation, too. I mean, I'm I'm a little younger than the characters in Wait, this movie. Wait, you throw us in the dirt and now you want to claim on board? I, I, I turn against my own. It's just my way. Look, I have one deciding factor for what constitutes a Gen Xer. And you want to know what that is? What is it? Were you alive when Star Wars came out? Oh, I wasn't. Then you're a generation whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the official name, by the way. That's right. Um, so yeah, we're doing The Breakfast Club, that great film about teenagers from different groups coming together and rapping about problems. <laughs> you want to tell the people who made it and whatnot? I think that's your job. Uh, uh, do you want me to do oh, it? That's right. No, I'll do it. I got it. I got it. I, I have it well in hand. I may be older than you, but I'm not, you know, crazy in the cuckoo brains with senility yet. I can do it. <laughs> movie okay. was di- movie was directed by John Hughes. This was his. He did a whole bunch of teen movies. He did this, and he did Sixteen Candles, and he did First Bueller's Day Off, and he did uh, what's the one where the the rich rich girl is the rich girl and a poor guy or is it a poor guy and a rich girl which one is that it's the one with mary stewart masterson she's a drummer and a chauffeur or something i can't remember (laughs) i I, I, that's not (laughs) something like fresh young horse some shit another one of one of those yeah yeah this is before he decided to start making movies for babies with you know, like Home Alone and and uh, Baby's Day Out and a whole bunch of other real crap, um, but he made he was like the the guy who understood teenagers in the eighties, and this kind of cemented his reputation. Um, it was produced by Ned Tannen and John Hughes, written by John Hughes, and it stars Emilio Estevez, uh, Estevez, Emilio Estevez. <laughs> Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, and John Capellos. Music by Keith Forsey and Gary Chang. Great synthesizer, guys. Uh, <laughs> cinematography by Thomas Del Ruth. Edited by Dee Dee Allen. It was produced by AM Films Channel Productions. Distributed by Universal Pictures. And it was released on February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. Aww. 1985. Running time? Thank you, movie. 97 minutes. <laughs> it was budgeted at a whopping $1 million. Wow. And the box office is $51.5 million. So it was a hit. And thankfully, we never got a sequel. Stay tuned. Maybe 10 years from now, they'll do Breakfast Club 2, where they all show up as middle-aged, depressed people, and then they talk about how it sucks to be middle-aged and how their kids don't understand them. That would be good. That would be a good bookend, right? Yeah, it could be the brunch club. 
See, and it works on multiple levels, right? Because yeah, brunch comes after breakfast, and older people go to breakfast. See, this. I prefer the Breakfast Club to the Reckoning. I like that. <laughs> breakfast Club to Deadly Descent. <laughs> breakfast Club to Evolution. Evolution's a, pro- uh, a, a popular yeah, yeah. one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. John Bender's back, and he's pissed. <laughs> this time, it's personal. <laughs> All right, are you ready to summarize the plot for this classic 80s film about teenagers griping a bunch of bunch of shit? <laughs> Can we make fun of it as we do it? No, we have to be super serious, okay. like the movie tends to lapse into every once in a while when there aren't weird sight gags. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> no, go for it. Okay, everybody. Buckle your seatbelts. We're in for a wild ride in the <laughs> in, in the amazing roller coaster that is the Breakfast Club. Steve. Dun dun. Well, the ride begins in earnest with a. An <laughs> it ep- should start with that sound that's in all the trailers. Blah. The Breakfast Club. <laughs> I have detention. Blah. Yes. <laughs> From the director of the Dark Knight trilogy. Sometimes when you when you get the bull, you get the horns. <laughs> <laughs> I never did it. <laughs> Do you guys want to know what I did to get in detention? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, people, before you start, spoilers. Oh, yes. I know the movie's old, but spoilers nonetheless. If you don't want to know what happens in this 30-year-old movie, yeah. stop listening. Yeah. So, yeah, we begin our thrilling thrill ride through the thrills of thrilling adolescence right. uh, with an, an opening uh, epigram quoting a David Bowie song. Yeah. Um, setting, something about spitting on children and yeah, something. Setting the, the tone, the subtle tone that will define this film. Yeah. You want to uh, know what that tone is, everybody? Adults suck. <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers are deep. <laughs> and they know what's going on with them. Yeah, they're deep like a pizza. Yeah, <laughs> hey, and it's, they're near Chicago, so they well, they would be deep exactly. like a pizza, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. They're this the, the, that's what it is. It's the Chicago mm-hmm. deep dish pizza of adolescence. Oh, and uh, by the way, you better read that quote quote quick because it explodes. <laughs> yes, it explodes. It it blows up like Commander Riker in that episode of Star Trek when he was having oh all those delusions. God, we used <laughs> the glass just shatters all around. And it, it explodes in slow motion. It it, it shat- yeah. the, the title card shatters like a pane of glass in slow motion. Yeah, exactly. Again, subtlety, subtlety, yeah. subtlety. Yeah. Uh, and we 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 see the exterior of of the high school of uh, Shermer High School in Shermer, Illinois. Right. And uh, we hear a voiceover of one of the characters who we later learn is is Brian, but we don't know who everybody is yet. Yeah. And he's reading from a letter that he's written to. The principal yeah, of the it's school. It's supposedly an essay. Yeah, an essay. Yeah, and it's and he's talking about how you know uh, we we accept the fact that we had to come here for Saturday for detention because we did things that are wrong. Because we did things that are wrong, and you told us to write an essay telling you who we think we are, but you don't care because you just see us in these really simple stereotypical terms. And then yeah. he, he lays out like each type that the characters represent, like right. the, the brain, the athlete, the basket case. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the princess, criminal. the criminal, yeah, right, and which is a nice little neat setup for 
the uh, movie. R- other writers of teen dramas for the next 30 years. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like they're 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 types but then they transcend those types. That's no, sort of what we're trying to do here. Is that what it is? Yeah. That's <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> well, hang on for the next 90 minutes because Okay. Man, make sure my seatbelt's super tight. Oh yeah, because it's as as we've said, it's a thrilling ride. There's dancing, mm-hmm. there's drug use. Yeah. There's a window explodes. A window explodes. There's prison breaks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody's and, got dandruff. And and deep dark secrets are revealed. Yeah. Like why they're in detention. Yeah. I bet you're curious as hell when this movie starts. What I wonder why they're all in detention. Well yeah. patience, gentle viewer, you will discover why they are in detention. Exactly. Except for Molly Ringwald. She doesn't spill her guts about that because she's Yeah, we just we don't yeah. Reasons. She's like because they wanted Molly Ringwald in this fucking movie, that's why. Yeah. That's what I did. Any other but questions? She almost didn't get in the movie. <laughs> No, she was supposed to play the Ally Shitty part. Really, I didn't. And know then that. she she threw a temper tantrum and said, "I want to play the, I want to play the princess part." And so they gave the princess part to her, and then she played Ally Shitty. So it, also, uh, uh, Nicolas Cage was going to be in it too. Who was Nicolas Cage going to be? Who do you think? <laughs> he was going to be John Bender. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah, but then they didn't they didn't cast him, and they cast John Cusack. Wow. And they said, "No, John, you don't look threatening enough." <laughs> So they fired him. Boy, this movie was a bloodbath before it even uh, started. And then they hired Judd Nelson, and he creeped everybody out because he wouldn't get out of character in between shots, and uh. he kept on doing gross things to Molly Ringwald. But the cast decided, no, we want him around. So they lobbied John Hughes not to fire him because he was about to get fired for, you know, the sexual harassing gross things that he was doing. Interesting. Well, he look, he was clearly an actor's actor, as his career since then has borne out. I'm oh, sure. yeah. I mean, geez. Everyone, you know, touches that statue to Judd Nelson when you enter Hollywood. Absolutely. For luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know what this is? This is peaked early the movie. <laughs> what? Everybody and in the movie? Pretty much everybody in the movie. <laughs> Including John Hughes. Yeah. Anyway, oh. so all these kids are being dropped off at school. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is where we meet, I think, uh, first we meet Blair, whose dad's dropping her off, right? And they're in a fancy Yeah, car. yeah, yeah. That will be Molly Ringwald. And then Claire. Uh, uh, the the sporty guy. Yeah, the wrestler. Not Blair. Her name's Claire. Claire, Blair. yeah. And Andrew uh, the wrestler, played by Andrew, Emilio Estevez. Who's, whose father is, you know, a guy who looks gruff. He's actually it's actually the same actor who played one of the detectives that arrested Richard Kimball in the the movie version of the fugitive. Well, there is a career. There you go. Um <laughs> and uh then uh what is the nerd's name? Brian. Brian gets dropped off by his by his mom and she's giving him a hard time cuz he he got detention cuz it turns out this is Saturday and they're all going in for detention. For an 8-hour detention on Saturday. Yeah. On a Saturday, eight-hour detention. Because that's something that happens. For things that probably would have gotten them expelled. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even back then. But uh, try making a movie about that. <laughs> I'm not judging it by how schools are now. Even back then, these kids would never see school again for yeah. some of the things that they did. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Ali Sheedy's character... Uh, 
gloomy goth girl. Yeah. I can't remember her name. What her, was her name. Her name is Allison, but it's Allison. Yeah, but they never quite establish it. They just about halfway through the movie, people just start calling her Allison. Well, yeah, and that's because for more than half the movie, she makes squeaking sounds. <laughs> and then Judd Nelson just walks up. No one drops him off. He's his own man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't care about school, he doesn't care about anything, but he keeps showing up for detention for some reason. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> he's such a rebel, he's an outlaw. Yeah, it's de- it's determined that he is a juvenile delinquent, someone who's rigged his, his locker with a guillotine in it. <laughs> yep. But he shows up right on time, bright and early for detention, yeah, doesn't he? He keeps showing up, he keeps going to school. Yeah. Okay, but they, they're all there, and they go into the library... Mm-hmm. And that's where we meet Dick. <laughs> their their tolerant and compassionate principal. Yeah. And what what he's like, I, I hate children and I hate you and teenagers suck and you're all just gonna sit here um for eight hours, you're not gonna make any sounds, you're not gonna talk, you're not gonna get up. Oh, and you're gonna write an essay, a thousand word essay. On who 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 do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, a thousand words, and he. I'm pretty sure he gives them each a a pencil and one yeah, sheet one of paper. Piece. Right, small kids. Write your thousand word essays on this, and then uh, then he leaves. He doesn't stay in there and sit there and stare at him back. He leaves. No. He goes to his his office, which is right across the hall, though. Yeah, and that's when uh, hijinks ensue. Because as we've already established, uh, there's a there's a nerd and a introverted goth girl and a jock and a popular girl and a criminal, <laughs> and and that's like four different oils trying to mix. No, that's wrong. One's oil, one's water, another one's something else that doesn't dilute with either. one. This is gonna get hard. I don't know my science that good. What's chemistry? <laughs> we need to ask the brainy guy. Yeah. But they start, you know, uh, the John Bender character, who is the guy who's, like, dangerous and smokes cigarettes, and uh, he wears a long overcoat. Mm-hmm. He starts antagonizing the other students, and they tell him to stop it, and it goes on like that for about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Shut up, Bender. Stop talking. And he just keeps talking, and then eventually yeah. they go along with him. Yeah, eventually, because they, they they all start talking, and he starts making really gross jokes towards Claire, and then the jock says, hey, you stop that. And he's like, you make me. And he's like, okay. And then he does a wrestling move. <laughs> yeah. At some point, the, the guys, this is going to be the shortest synopsis in the world, because a whole fuck ton of nothing happens in this movie. Yeah. It's it's all talking. There's no, there's no adventuring, really. There there's are, a couple yeah. of... There's a couple of dancing uh, scenes. There are some very, very crucial plot points, though. For instance, the closing of the library door. Yeah, that he goes is up essential. and he takes a screw out of the library door and he closes it. And that's sort of the moment when, like, even though they've all been sort of bickering with each other, and this is like ten minutes into the movie, and they've all been sort of, you know, picking at each other, and then yeah. he takes the screw out of the door so the door closes and, and the, the principal can't keep the door open to ostensibly keep an eye on them. Right. And the principal comes charging in. He's like, who took the screw out of that door? God damn it, you're going to tell me. They all, they all sigh. They don't, yeah. they don't narc. They're not narcs. That's right. Because it's because it's teens versus grown ups, man. That's right. Because grown ups suck. 
almost all grown ups suck. Unless unless you're the janitor. Yeah. Then, then you don't suck. The janitor's kind of cool. Yeah, because the janitor tells it like it is. And he, he at one point, we're skipping a little around a little bit, but what the fuck does it matter? Because this whole movie you could mix up and re-edit, and it's the same thing that happens all the time. Janitor comes in, his name's Carl, he's, he's like, hey, you kids, fuck off. You guys don't know anything, you think you're so great, you don't know me. <laughs> I read your letters. Yeah, I know everything about you. <laughs> and I eavesdrop on your conversations. Here's pictures I've taken of you undressing. All of you. <laughs> That's Even right. you, nerdlinger. <laughs> I got something on every goddamn one of you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Um, so basically, all these kids start interacting. And Claire kind of knows Andrew a little bit because they're both popular. Right. Andrew's a jock wrestling dude. And Claire is super popular and pretty. And then we have the nerd who hangs out and does nerd things and belongs to physics club and math club, math club and getting canned at lunchtime club. Mm. And the other girl is, I guess, so bizarre that she has no friends. Yeah. And so they just they sit there for a long time and then they all fall asleep. And <laughs> all right, what it really speaks to the to the times and to the generation, doesn't it? Yeah, and then the guy comes in and he says, "Wake up!" None of them move, and then he says, "Okay, who needs to use the bathroom?" And everyone raises their hand. So I guess they go to the bathroom, right? Yeah, but that apparently was uneventful because they they go to the bathroom, they come back, and then like a little bit later, they all sneak out. Because doesn't because yeah. the the principal spills uh, coffee on his desk, yeah, and somehow uh, Bender is able to well, psychically <laughs> intuit that this I is happening. He spills coffee on his desk, and then he goes on a vision quest throughout the entire rest of the school. <laughs> yes, he just he walks out of his office and then wanders <laughs> off down the hallway. And that's when the other the the the, the kids sneak out of the library. Yeah. And they go to Bender's locker, and they no. All... That's you're getting it. You're getting it mixed up because okay. they don't do that until after lunch, and we haven't even gotten there yet. Because oh yeah, remember yes. they 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 go to the bathroom, and then um, John has a confrontation. No, that's after lunch. That's after lunch. Um, so then they all start to get to know each other a little bit. Everyone's a little on edge or whatever, and uh, they argue back and forth about. Class, <laughs> not like classes that they go to in school. Like, like who's rich? Social who's not class. Rich. Yeah, yeah. And um, then it's lunchtime, right? Yeah. And um, they, they, they. I guess they all brought their lunch, but yeah. then Bender's like, "Hey, we want milk because you know we don't have things to drink," and. So the uh, which is a lie. Everyone seems to have something to drink with their lunch. Yeah. But, okay. Teenage teenagers are liars. Yeah, teenagers are liars. Um, and so the the principal's like, okay, uh, wrestler jock guy and weird introverted outcast girl, you go to the teachers' lounge and get sodas for everybody. Get go get cokes. Yeah. Because everyone drinks cokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I think that's when when they're going down the hall to to the teachers' lounge. That's when uh, Allison speaks her first actual words, and I, be- yeah. I believe her first word is vodka. Because yeah, she Andy sure asks vod- her, lots of vodka. Yeah, yeah, he's like, "What do you drink? Vodka." Yeah, cool. 
And um, then they get Cokes, and then they have lunch, and Wrestler Boy has, like, nine sandwiches and a bag of cookies and a whole bunch of food. And uh, Claire has sushi. Sushi. Complete with a little glass bottle of uh, soy sauce. <laughs> and um, the introverted girl has a fucking pimento sandwich, and she throws the pimento loaf out, and she puts... Captain Crunch and Pixie Sticks in it and eats it because quirky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, and then Judd Jud Nelson, John Bender starts making fun of uh, Brian and his lunch because he's got soup and uh, apple juice and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, and then he, he reenacts what he imagines life at Brian's house is like. Right. And then contrasts that with an, an impression of life at his house, which is apparently mm. just a nightmare of anger and abuse. Yeah. And uh, and the jock boy goes, oh, you don't, what, you know, you're exaggerating. And then he shows off this cigar burn on his arm. And then he goes and has a temper tantrum, you know, because he's been, dis- he became distraught. And people feel bad for him, right? Yeah. That that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then the principal comes in, and then him and the principal get in it. Yeah. And then the principal does something thoroughly illegal, which he does routinely, <laughs> which is he takes him to a closet and locks him in it. Yeah. But not before first tempting, <laughs> not threatening, daring him to fight him. <laughs> To the point of even throwing a fake punch to get him to react. And he's just kind of sitting there going, oh, I can't believe this adult is doing this. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, dude. You're the most antagonistic dude there, but now you have... Okay, let's let's walk this back. <laughs> Judd, Nel- Judd Nelson's character is supposed to be this tough guy, and people accuse him of being an asshole all the time, and he uses the the most truthful statement that you can about an asshole. He says, what? I'm just telling the truth. Yeah. That is true. If you do nothing but tell the unvarnished truth to everybody, you are an asshole. Congratulations. <laughs> Truthfulness is a overrated, overrated virtue. <laughs> We need to lie in order to survive and just maintain positive relationships because if we said what was on our mind all the time, we would be awful people. That's who this character is. And uh, finally, when the principal is like done with him and throws him in the closet and said, like, I, you know what, you think you're so great and blah, blah, blah. I can't wait to get rid of you and uh, threatens to, you know, dares him to throw a punch and hit him because he has no power over him. And if you if we get in a fight I can tell anybody whatever I want and who are they going to believe me I'm the principal everybody loves me and you're just a loser jerk kid um remind me uh why haven't I expelled you why why haven't I expelled you if I have this much why are you here number one (laughs) why did you show up for detention if you hate school and think it's a joke and you don't like me why are you in school, number one? And number two, why are you bothering to show up to detention? Because it's implied that he's there every Saturday. Yeah. He's there all the time. But I mean, they don't get in a fight, and then he leaves. And then Judd Nelson promptly escapes. Through the the ceiling. Through the ceiling. Yeah. And uh, when he's... Uh, and, and then he breaks through the ceiling tiles. Yeah. In, he, in, 
into the library. Falling apparently a great distance, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, having no injuries whatsoever. Hey, it's he's not uh, he's not injured to the point where he can't sexually assault uh, Molly Wingwald while he's hiding under the under the table. Yeah, he does. He 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 commits a sexual assault almost immediately after returning yeah, to the library. He's under the table. Principal storms in. He goes, "What's that noise?" And everyone's like, "What noise?" And Judd Nelson is hiding under the table, and uh, for comedic effect, he uh, uh, sees her panties, and he sticks his head in there. Is, am I remembering that? Yeah, right? and she kind of clamps her knees around his head to be like, "Hey, wait, well, you, you know, stop." Yeah, stop. <laughs> what That's are you doing? Not cool. <laughs> and so then the principal leaves, and now he's there, and more talking happens. And then they break out in a group to go to his locker. Yeah. And they get to his locker, and that's where we see that he has a guillotine in his locker. <laughs> like this knife that comes down and will chop off anybody's hand that reaches into his locker, I guess. Because that's, you know, that's perfectly fine for one of our lead protagonists to have. Yeah. Because it's funny. It's Steve. funny. It's it's just goofy. It's just yeah, a it's goof. just a goofy goofy thing to to throw into this teen drama. You know, this teen drama is is perfectly fine to have goof 'em ups. Yeah, like when they're all sitting in the library and they start whistling the music from Bridge Over R- River Kwai, yeah. and then they superimpose the sound the the whistling from the movie over them whistling. Because that's a reference these kids would get. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to stick out like a sore thumb because it's never done before and it's not done after. <laughs> so they go there and then he gets pot. He yeah. gets this big thing of pot. And Brian and is such a square because yeah. he's yeah, like, do he's... you approve of this? He he has drugs. He has drugs. He has marijuana. Mm-hmm. Come on, Brian. But, yeah. Come on. Be man. cool, man. He gets over that really quick, though. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, he's like the second person to go smoke up with him. He's like, ah, fuck yeah. it, I'm going. He's like, I'm going to do it because they go back to the library and then everyone gets a joint and everyone starts smoking and laughing and and stuff. And then we have a dancing sequence mm-hmm. and Emilio Estevez is in the sound room. Yeah, the the audio room, and it's filled with smoke. And he screams so loud that the door, the glass door to the audio room shatters. <laughs> yep. Never mentioned again. Never mentioned again. It just kind of, it's a thing that happens. Apparently he has mutant abilities (laughs) when he's high. And then, um, this is when we get to the deeply introspective drama parts. Yeah, yeah. they have their, they have their group. They have their team hangout. Teens rapping with teens about teen stuff. Yep. And we find out that Emilio Estevez's dad is really on him to, to be successful and, and and win. And his dad is the reason why he's in detention because he assaulted a kid in the locker room and taped his this other kid's butt to get butt cheeks together. Yeah. And then when they took the tape off it ripped out hair and skin. And yeah, he he got Saturday detention for that. <laughs> Let the punishment fit the crime, I say. But Emilio Estevez does feel really bad about it. You know? Yeah. He does feel really bad about it. And um, then we uh, get... um, Who's next? Um, 
Oh, they try to tell Claire, to convince Claire to admit that the, whether or not she's had uh, sex. Yeah. And then uh, Allison tricks her by telling a story that she's having sex with her psychiatrist. And then uh, they all get on her to say what if she has. And then, and then Claire says, I've never done it. And then Allison goes, I, I've never done it either. I was lying because I'm a, I'm a compulsive liar. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Gotcha. And Jed Nelson is really on her through this whole sequence to the point where she's kicking him and yelling at him and saying, I hate you because he's being an absolute dick. Yeah. And then uh, they all start talking about how, you know, well, Brian says, hey, I think we're all friends. So what's going to happen on Monday when we get back to school? And everyone kind of says, uh, well, nothing. We're all going to pretend like we don't know each other right. anymore because we all belong to different cliques. And that really upsets Brian. And Claire's the one that says it. And she said, I'm being honest. And then in uh, in severe <laughs> hypocrisy, Judd calls her out on that. <laughs> The one that's been saying the whole movie that he's been nothing but honest. He starts yelling at Claire for being honest. I guess he wants to be king asshole and he doesn't like the idea that there's another asshole. Yeah, and then Claire calls him out on that and mm-hmm. says, well, you all like, you know, you wouldn't hang out with any of us. Your friends would make fun of you, too, just like ours would. And he gets all self-righteous and he's like, you don't talk about my friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And there's also a scene between uh, Andrew and... Allison, in which uh, she says that things are super bad at her house, and they they share a moment where they both agree that adults and parents are awful and we hate them. And then it turns out that the worst thing that Allison's parents do is that they ignore her. And um, Claire says that her parents use her to injure one another because they're divorced, right? Yeah. 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 And then Brian tells everybody that he tried to make an an elephant lamp in shop and got an F. And then he was so upset about it that he was going to kill himself with a flare gun. So which which he, went off in his locker. Which and then that's why, that's he why got he's in deten- again, Saturday detention. Perfect. Saturday detention. Appropriate yeah. punishment. Exactly. Um, and then after all that drama, Claire puts makeup on Allison, right? Yeah, and now she's yeah pretty. does up her hair yeah. and manages to find other clothes somewhere for her to wear. Yeah. Sure, why not? Because <laughs> she's wearing a different top and everything. And of course, now that she's all pretty and she doesn't have the uh, uh, mascara and her hair's not all in her face, Andrew falls in love with her. Yep. <laughs> And then Judd Nelson climbs back through the skylight to get back into the closet. And then when he's in the closet, for no fucking reason at all whatsoever, uh, Claire shows up and kisses him on the neck. Yeah. You can tell she's never done this before. Yeah. And then... Oh, oh and they they also... Oh, yeah... <laughs> They also asked the nerd um, <laughs> genius, hey, um, why don't you write the essay for everybody? Do our homework, <laughs> do nerd. Our, do our homework, nerd. And he says, okay. Yeah, I'll do it. True I'll friends of it. mine. 
<laughs> so he's sitting down to write that, and then uh, detention's over. Right? Yep. They their parents and, come to pick him up. They all leave. Yeah, they all leave, and outside where the the parents are, Judd Nelson and and, and Molly Raywall, he's like, "Hey, you know, your parents use you as a weapon. What could be better than if I was your boyfriend?" And she's like, "Yeah." And then they kiss right when they're outside because that's what they do. And then she gives him one of his diamond earrings, and then um, a body double puts that earring into their ear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Brian just goes home and oh and then uh uh Andrew and Allison kiss because that happens because now they're in love. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I guess they are. <sighs> and she rips a patch off of his varsity jacket and then they all leave. And uh, meanwhile, we're having the essay. We're cutting between scenes of, of, of Principal Dick reading the, the essay that uh, that uh, Brian wrote, which is not a thousand words, and there aren't five of them. <laughs> it's just one. <laughs> but he doesn't really care, it seems. Yeah. He's standing in a library that smells um, like pot smoke. Hmm. There's a broken glass door to the audio there's room. There's a big-ass hole in the ceiling. There's a big hole in the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> but these kids get to walk out scot-free. <laughs> and the very last scene is Judd Nelson walking across the, the, the football field. And at just the right moment in the point of the essay, he raises his fist in the air. Freeze frame on that. Roll credits. The end. The end. No more angst. <laughs> and, Hooray! And the eighties were over. The eighties were over. I wanted there. I man, at the end of this movie, I wanted it to be like a freeze frame on each one of them and said what they what happened afterwards. But it would never say what I wanted to say. You know, like at the end of Animal House. But it would <laughs> never say the things that I would expect. It would say something like. You know, Brian went on to found Microsoft or something like that. <laughs> but it more than likely would end with tragically died in suicide attempt. Actually, all of them had tragically died in suicide attempt, <laughs> one right after another. They would all. Andrew it... and Allison. Andrew and Allison broke up after she found out she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Allison is currently living in a mobile home park. <laughs> it would just be they're all pretty much fine. Living unremarkable lives. Andrew blew his knee out, never went to college, and works as a stock boy in Walgreens. You know, but we don't get that. We just get the fist raised up in the air because, hey, we're not pandering to teens, and what? that's the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you know what? What? I think this is the shortest summary we've ever done. I think so too. I and mean, you're right because there's there's not a whole hell of a lot that actually happens. It's a bottle film. Yeah, very Pretty much. much takes place in one room. Very much. It, so, Steve, what did you think of that teenage classic, <laughs> The Breakfast Club? Well, when I was about 16, I thought it was great. But I suspect that's because I was right square in the target audience. Uh, <laughs> you were in this. You were in this movie's sights. It's yeah, like, there's one. 
Exactly. It's it's like well, of course I liked it when I was sixteen. I was a sixteen year old <laughs> middle class white kid. I I, I couldn't not yeah. have liked it. Like, um, and looking at it now as a grown up. Uh, I mean, there are still things about it I can find to sort of appreciate, and I can remember yeah. what I appreciated about it back then. And one of the things I really appreciated about it back then was not just the fact that it was about teenagers more or less like me and their angsty problems, and it, you know, I, I could relate to them in some way or another. But just, I, I was also sort of a, a an aspiring writer. And I was dabbling in screenwriting at the time. I was I was just getting into like movies and, and filmmaking and screenwriting when I was in high school. And, and there are a lot of things from a fledgling screenwriter perspective that are really appealing about this movie. Like the fact that it is a story that takes place in a single setting in a, yep. over a single period of time. I mean, uh, when, when, I, when I think about it, I, I think about... Like the, and I'm going to sound really highfalutin and douchebaggy when I say this, but hey, it won't be the first time. Uh, like the uh, the Aristotelian unities that you learn about if you study drama or, or, or uh, literature in college. The, the, oh, the, God. Uh, the unit, there's the unity of action, the unity of time, and the unity of place, which basically means a story is about one thing, it takes place uh-huh. in one setting, and it takes place more or less in just one short period of time. And that Professor Shives, do I get credit for this? Yeah. <laughs> you can you you can choose. You can either get it credit as a as as a uh, as a history course or as a humanities <laughs> course, but you have to indicate that when you register. Um, okay. Okay, but anyway, but anyway, but and there's you know, there so there's something You transitioned through that really well, dude. Thank you. You you missed your calling. There's <laughs> there's there's something about it, when you look at it that way there's something really appealing about just the way the movie is structured it's 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 a simple story not a lot of plot but it's a simple story uh it takes place in one location it takes place over one day and mm-hmm. there's something that it's very that still even today when i look at it much more critically there's something very appealing about that to me because you're placing yeah. limitations on yourself as a writer and you're saying okay i'm going to make a movie about five characters in one setting in one day, mm-hmm. what, yeah. now let's let's tell a story about that, you know. And that's there's something really appealing about that to me. But you know, as I was joking at the beginning of the summary, like it's not really all that subtle. <laughs> it's no. a very obvious movie. These everybody cries. Yeah, everybody cries. These are sort of the except Judd, except for except for Judd Nelson. Yeah, he holds it together because he's a you know yeah. he's a tough guy. Um, yeah, he's dead inside. He's he's he, he's done his crying, man. <laughs> I did my crying. Uh, my last tear was shed when my old man burned me with a cigar. What it's there to cry about? Exactly. Um, but so these are like the prototypes of those, you know, really hyperverbal, super self-aware, like Kevin Williamson scripted teenagers from the '90s, <laughs> like from Dawson's Creek and such. And uh-huh. uh, you know, and if you like that sort of thing. Then you'll mm-hmm. probably like this movie. If you are a little irritated at that sort of thing, uh, then you'll probably find things about this movie to make you roll your eyes. Like, oh, yeah. they're so self-aware. They're so able oh, to articulate boy. their own problems. Remember when the scariest thing in the world was to be accused of being gay? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. <laughs> That's, that runs rife through this. There's a lot all of, the way through yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, gay panic. There's a deep, rich... Yeah, there's a deep, rich layer of it. Yeah. 
of homophobia. Yeah, but I mean, and you know, there's like there there are attempts to sort of deconstruct their their different social roles. Like there's a scene early on where Bender is trying to make a point to Claire about how you know the way she he, she has this elitist view of of like her yeah. of her friends and the clubs that she belongs to, but really they're no different than the the nerdy science clubs that Brian belongs to. And but mm. you know the movie doesn't really. You know, it, it sort of throws that out there. Yeah. But it's not really interested in that. Yeah. You know? But, it's, it, I mean, and the, the unfortunate part is that that is the interesting part. Yeah. The interesting part to me was when they started getting around the social dynamics of them in school. The whole bit where they came up with, oh, you know, do you know what you're going to do tomorrow is you're going to say hi to, you're going to say hi to Brian when he's there. But as soon as he's gone, you're going to cut him down in front of your friends. Yeah. That's honest. You know, that's an honest appraisal of how teenagers interact. And that was interesting. But it then lapses back into, everything would be great if it wasn't for my parents. Mm. Yeah. And the movie, the movie, I agree with you. I do think that's probably the most honest point in the movie. But then the movie kind of handles it dishonestly because it, yeah. it doesn't, it it ends on this note where it feels like the movie's telling us, well, it, but it won't be like that for but them. But everything's going to be better. Yeah. Like they've, you know, I mean, except for Brian, because Brian's still friendless and alone. But the other two. Yeah, have he's paired. all alone <laughs> pretending he has a girlfriend in Canada. Yes. But the other four have paired off into these nice little couples. Yeah. You know, and it's like, exactly. oh, it's they're going to be fine. You know, so the most yeah. truthful part of the movie turns out to be not true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not, um, I mean, uh, my personal, I personally feel that the, the Breakfast Club is not a bad movie. No, not at all. Um, not, not in any way, shape or form. It's actually pretty gutsy for trying to do what they were trying to do at that time. Teen comedies in the 80s were awful. They're awful affairs. Yeah. And... Um, the breakfast club decided hey let's make them people let's try to make them like people isn't that a weird thing to do make make people but um then they fall into the and and i guess fall into the tropes of okay well here are our prototypes here are the people that are going to wind up in detention in real life detention would have been all john benders yeah it would have yeah. been five John Benders, and you can't really tell the story. So in this one, we get every click that that is at that school. It happens to be in detention at at that time. Um, and while it delves into areas that most teen comedies or teen dramas hadn't delved into before, it falls into the same problems that that occur, and that is, hey, they're going to pair up in a romantic relationship at the end yeah. for. No reason at all. There's no the the two kisses that happen at the end of this at the end of this movie come literally out of nowhere. There is no reason at all for any of these people to like each other. No, not to the point in which they're like boyfriend and girlfriend at the end. And in fact, there's there's ample reason for Claire and Bender to not want to ever have anything to do with each other ever again. Exactly. <laughs> he is awful. He's he's very predatory. He says some really gross, like, routinely gross things to her throughout the entire movie, and then at the end we're supposed to believe, oh, they're together now. They're 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 a couple. Isn't that great? Yeah, he's it's no. it's a great message. He's he's the the example, the most obvious sort of embodiment of that old cliche of like the boy who who picks on the girl because he likes her. Uh, yeah, but it turns out it works. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he gets the girl at the end. Yeah. And the other cliche, 
oh, ugly girl's actually pretty. And now that she's pretty, a boy likes her. And that's all she needed. Yeah. Isn't that great? She just needed to clean herself up a bit. <laughs> it would have been, I think it would have been a stronger movie if they just erased that. If the ending of the movie had been the realization that when they go back to school on Monday, everything is going back to the way it was. Yeah. That everything was that, that none nothing that happened is going to matter. They're just going to go back to, they're going to go back to their groups and back to their cliques, and they're not going to, you know, that's making a statement. Instead, they kind of throw on this kind of happy ending, and everything's great. And we wrote, we didn't do anything that we we're supposed to do during detention. When we didn't, <laughs> we didn't do the assignment. We kind of destroyed the library. None of those kids are going back to school. You know, yeah. Monday, Monday. You know, I'm, you know. Two hours after the ending of this movie, cops are showing up at their front door going, there's been a lot of destruction at the school, coincidentally, when you were the only kids in it. <laughs> what the hell happened in there? And then they all roll on John Bender, and they're like, he did it all. It he him. broke the window. He filled up everything with pot smoke. <laughs> we watched helplessly. <laughs> it was the poor kid from the troubled home. It was him. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. And there, the the other really interesting theme that is touched on but not really explored is that notion that they're going to grow up and become their parents. Yeah, you know? the the whole notion that uh, it's stated quite clearly. Um, you know, when you get old, your heart dies. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody literally says that. Yeah, and now. You can view it from this way. This is the way teenagers think. That, you know, yeah. from their perspective, that is what they think. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Um, there's a, a, a certain... I get a certain feeling that some of this really does... If there was a genre, this is teen exploitation. <laughs> this is like, let's let's tell teen... Let's give have these teens say the things that they're thinking. Whether that thing is right or wrong. So that, you know, oh, well, teens don't like their parents because they don't understand them. And it's the most contentious part between teens and their parents is during teenage years. And let's have them say things that teens are thinking, whether that's true or not. And let's give the parents and the adults absolutely no say in what's going on yeah. and have the only adult be awful beyond compare. There is a little there is a brief that we, we skipped this in the synopsis. There is a uh, uh, scene where Carl, the janitor, walks in on Dick as he's going through the confidential <laughs> files of the students. Yeah. And then they sit down and they drink a beer and they talk back and forth in which um, the principal is like, kids are awful and every year they get more and more disrespectful. And Carl's like, you're full of shit. You were exactly the same way back when you were a kid. And the guy goes, you know what scares me is that these kids are going to be taking care of me when I'm old. And the janitor says, don't count on it. And that's the end of the scene. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's as close as we're going to get to... And at least they did it. At least they did it. At least they bothered to flesh out two of the characters, two of the adult characters yeah. a little bit. Um, but a lot of this... It, I don't want to say it feels like pandering. I remember when this movie came out, a lot of people were paying lip service to John Hughes because they were saying he's the voice of teens that he... That he, you know, talked to teenagers before he sat down and wrote the script right. and, and and wrote it using their slang and all that other stuff. It came out a couple of years later that the kids he was talking to, they were just making shit up. <laughs> they were they were patronizing they were patronizing this dude who was gonna write a teen comedy, so they just started making up slang for him to put in his movies. Which is weird. They made up shit, he used it, and then it started it getting It actually used caught on. It, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, and I don't want to be as cynical as to say, well, this was clearly, you know, this was clearly pandering to a teen audience. Um, this was, this was John, Ru- uh, John Hughes second film. He made, uh, uh, 16 candles before this, I think. And, um, he wanted to make this movie first. And he wanted to make it... I think he was honestly trying to make a different kind of teen movie. I don't think that there is a money money motive behind this. He was lucky that, that after looking at the script, that um, Universal said, yeah, sure, we'll give you money and you can do it. He sold it to them as, it's only going to cost a million dollars. That's it. <laughs> it's a million dollars for a whole movie. You want that, right? And it worked for him, because it made yeah. a shit ton of money on top yeah. of that, because it was amazingly successful. They had no confidence in it. You know how I know? Because it was released around Valentine's yep. Day. The graveyard for movie releases. <laughs> the dumping ground. The, the cinematic dumping ground. Yeah. And one of the one of the things is, is that it is a dumping ground, but it's more like when a studio has no idea how to market a film or where to place it, they put it in February. And um, just recently, Deadpool... They didn't know what to do with it. Right. They were like, we, that's, we're not going to risk a summer release. We'll put it out in February because we have no idea what it is or how who's going to watch it. And now it's made a shit zillion dollars. More, movie, more money than anything that they've ever put out. So sometimes it works out for them. There have been a number of movies that came out in February that were amazing successes because the studio was too unsure of a, of a, yeah. a project. And Breakfast Club was one of them. It was like, well, it is kind of a comedy, but it's not as goofy as Sixteen Candles was. Um you know, uh, he's an untested director. We have no idea where it's going to go. We'll put it in February. And teens ate it up. And I fully expected when I watched this film now as an adult with teenagers of my own that I would be angry about all the, the your parents suck kind of things. It's no bad parents, yay teenagers. Yeah. Um, and while there are twinges of that, I can view it like, you know what, that's kind of fair. If it's told from their point of view, and they have problems with their parents, it's fair. I don't think this is making a, a declarative statement that parents are bad and that you're dead inside when you grow up. And I think anyone who takes it at that face value isn't really looking at the film all that objectively. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't bother me. I, I think every teenager ever went, my parents are awful and I hate them. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that... Uh, that brings it that that appeal. I mean, it's when when I think about it now, and I I can I sort of I think about the movie, and I think about where I was in my life when I first saw the movie, and I when I the first time I saw it, because uh, I was I mean I, I was too young to have seen it when it first came out in theaters, but I I first found it when I was more or less the same age as the characters in the movie, and I I can think about the movie the same way as I think about my my adolescence you know where you're, yeah. you're that age and you're you're sort of in that world where you're high school and your friends and the people who you want to be your friends but aren't your friends and like mm-hmm. your parents and your teachers like that's the whole universe to you and, and yeah. it all seems really important mm-hmm. and you want to believe that the things happening to you at that time really matter and are really important and are going to shape your life and in some cases that's true but for the most part that's just not true you're going yeah. you're going to look back 5 years after you graduate from high school and and in most cases you're going to think wow all those things that were so important to me back then don't matter at all to me now and yeah. all those problems i thought were the end of the world 
are so ancient history it's difficult to even believe and mm-hmm. and with the breakfast club it's the same thing because you know you, you, you watch the movie when you're 15, 16, 17 years old and you think, oh, this is my movie, you know? Yeah. You think, this is this is about me. This is about, this is one of the greatest movies ever. And then you watch it when you're 30, 35, and you think, <laughs> you think well, it's all right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's all right. It's, okay. it's not a bad movie. Yeah. There's a lot I admire about it. Uh, the the, the, the uh, negative aspects towards parents now, watching it now, and not having the parents have commentary and not fleshing out the parents really at all is kind of gutsy in a weird way because I've been exposed to enough teen stuff afterwards where they go out of their way to give the parents point of view and to make the parents, you know, you know, if not clueless, like in a lot of teen comedies, they're, they're played up as comic relief, but, you know, to, to, to make them sympathetic or that they're their kid's best friend or whatever. And you point at any teen drama, whether on television or in movies, they try to give the parents a fair shake because it's adults writing it and they and adults want, don't want to paint themselves in a negative light. Right. You know, when I was watching this film, I was like, oh, God, what if they re- tried to remake this movie? What would it be like now? Oh. And my, you know, my initial complaint was that these are kids with white people problems. But there is something kind of refreshing when you watch a movie in which, yeah. These are these are their problems, and and comparatively to what some other kids go through, it's not that. But to them, they're major issues. So if you approach it from a character's point of view, yeah, this is this is perfectly fine. These are kids getting upset about shit that's going on in their lives. But if they remade it now, the Breakfast Club would consist of, oh God, the black student dealing with racism. And the gay, uh, gay or trans student dealing with gay or trans issues, yeah. and it would just they would pick and choose all of the biggest subjects that they could possibly find and cram them onto these students, and then stick them all in detention, and then they would all come to a better understanding about one another or some bullshit at the end. And I think that that is lazy, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 could very easily and probably would be very didactic. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which would completely you know uh erase any you know if if the point of the movie was let's make a movie where teenagers are dealing with these serious social issues that would completely undercut the whole thing if it's just yeah. you know well look look at all the serious problems they have to deal with yeah i yeah. think you're right i think the fact that the problems that the characters in the breakfast club are dealing with for the most part don't seem like you know are contextual to where they are yeah they're they're you know what i mean they're important they're important to them and it's kind of what I was getting at a minute ago about, you know, it's it, it, in, in five, ten years, these same problems probably aren't going to haunt them, you know. Yeah. But it's the entire world to them now. And, yeah, exactly. You know, and I, yeah, I agree. I think and I think that they, they're not dealing with problems that speak to a larger issue to, you know, the society in general, which is where I would think a remake would probably try to take right. it. You know, you have the kid who's a bully who who's brought a gun to the breakfast club. You know, it yeah. would just be every everything that we've heard about teenagers now. They would all be embodiments of that, and rather, this is a this is this is a character. This is technically a character study, which is also something that you don't see in teen related or stuff that's aimed towards teens anymore. Where it's about characters, it's not about situations, right? 
and then, which is what 90% of almost all teen stuff is. He's paying her to be his girlfriend for the year. Right. Or, it's not very, yeah, yeah, it's not high concept. It's, I mean, no. it, it is, it is to an extent you could say, oh, you know, five students well, yeah. from different walks of life have to spend the day together in detention. But it's not, yeah, it's not like there's not a gimmick to it where it's like, you know, will exactly, he, you know, will he fall in love with the nerdy girl that he's been exploiting? You know, it's. Yeah, if this had been in a different vein and they had made it the quote-unquote wacky teen comedy, a lot of there would have been a the strippers would have been invited over. Yes. They would have had a party in the in the detention hall. The you know, <laughs> Prince, uh, Principal Dick would have been gotten goop dropped on him, yeah. and his car would have been destroyed in some hilarious elephant accident. And then all of them would have jumped up and said, yay, while Oingo Boingo plays on the roof. <laughs> it would have been, you know, it would have been the typical genre fare that you get from the from, from a teen comedy in the 80s. And this one showed a remac- remarkable amount of restraint and tried to tell a straightforward story. And uh, I kind of still admire it for that, even though it does seem clunky yeah. and old at this point. Um, so, Steve? Recommend or not recommend? Oh, uh, the Breakfast Club. I would recommend it. I mean, it's like as I think we've we've gone over pretty well. It's it's not. I don't think it's an outstanding movie. I don't think it's like a masterpiece. But it's it's a really likable movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The performances are all pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's yeah, it's it's the quintessential you know pop culture 1980s movie like you've got mm-hmm. you know you've got an Estevez you've got Molly Ringwald you've got Anthony Michael yeah. Hall you've got Ali Sheedy you've got Judd Nelson like it's there's the 80s there's there's pop you know pop <laughs> culture mainstream 80s right there you yeah. know so enjoy them and enjoy their their whinging over their white people problems mm-hmm. yeah also I would would like to make a comment it was nice to see uh, it was kind of nice to see uh, teenagers talk without referencing pop culture constantly oh yeah because they didn't do that at all there were no pop no. culture references there was no such thing as pop culture references ah, those halcyon days of yore <laughs> when you had to actually write jokes to get people to laugh yeah, instead exactly. of referencing things they knew about <laughs> even if those jokes were homophobic in nature yeah there's that <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll recommend it. Probably because if you're a teenager, you can kind of identify with some of the shit that they're going through. You know, they're, they're, it's mostly about stress and the stress that they feel they're being put under by their parents, and the the bad position you know being placed and being feel like being made to feel like your parents don't care about you or they don't pay attention to you or they're using you as a shuttlecock between two divorced parents or whatever. Um, I think that there's things that, especially if you're a teenager, I think that there are things in there that you can you can identify with and pick up on. Um, not all teenagers, definitely. If if you're a, a black teen from the inner city and you're watching The Breakfast Club, um, there's probably not a whole lot there that you're going to gravitate towards. <laughs> or if you're an immigrant new to the country and you're a teenager, they're probably not going to... You know, gravitate towards the, the stuff, but movies aren't made for everybody, so get over it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Don't know where that came from. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it kind of deserves its reputation, its placement in in film history for being that movie that that for the first time ever kind of took teens seriously, and they weren't, you know, stereotypes. So the kind of the whole point of the film was that. 
they were stereotypes to begin with, but there was things behind it, right? You know that they that they were uncomfortable with where they were, and that there were roles that they had to play in high school, and they kind of they kind of tackled that, and uh, and they stuck with st- kept it to an hour and thirty minutes. Yes. Oh, bless you, John Hughes. <laughs> I just wish he had shown some restraint. I didn't need David Bowie's quote to explode at me, and I didn't need Judd Nelson to raise his fist in the air for no apparent reason at the end of the movie. It's I have no idea why he's doing it. Because that. he's triumphant. Over? I, uh, yeah. I got a girlfriend! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's rich! I've got Woo. it made in the shade! I'm gonna be eating sushi! <laughs> Marry enough! Back at a time when no one knew what sushi was! <laughs> I know, that's isn't that's that's so weird and dated now, isn't it? She's like, sushi? And she What's explains that? what sushi is? <laughs> he, if we took him out of time and brought him here, and he'd say, I can buy sushi at 7 Eleven now? Well, I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah, you can buy sushi. You can get it at the fucking at the gas station you can, if you yeah. really wanted to. I buy my it's sushi everywhere. at the grocery store. <laughs> so yeah, I recommend it. Me and Steve gave it two th- two thumbs up. Two rebellious fists up in the yeah. air. Hey, and now it's time for Steve and I to recommend another movie. Uh, hopefully, that's related to the one we do. But Steve doesn't seem to follow that rule ever. Oh. <laughs> Because I'm like Bender, I'm a rebel. So this this week, let's see if Steve did do that. Steve, I, I think I did. I actually, I had a really, <laughs> I had a really dark. Now you're really big at saying this is the spiritual cousin to this film. I had a really dark impulse to recommend Elephants, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though Elephant is a great movie, but it's way on the other side of the world compared to The Breakfast Club. Um, real different. A kind of a tonal shift, um, but I definitely picked a dark cousin to this yeah, one. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I um, the 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 movie I picked, it, I I went back and forth to what movie I wanted to pick, and I ended up picking another high school movie, not from the '80s, but from the '90s, mm-hmm. um, that actually stars someone who was not in The Breakfast Club, but was a big major figure in in '80s teen movies. Um, it's yeah. which is Matthew Broderick. And okay. the movie I chose was Election. Even though he was never a yeah, teen, whenever he was, he was Ferris in any of Bueller, those he was Ferris Bueller. And the movie I'm recommending is Election, which uh, oh, yeah. came out in 1999 and starred Matthew Broderick as a teacher who becomes uh, caught up in a a web of seduction and deceit of his own, <laughs> of his own making. making, surrounding a student council election at the high school where he's a teacher. And uh-huh. um, it's it's sort of, it, it's more focused on him and on the teachers than on the students, but the students do yeah, play. Yeah, it's not really about the teens. No, it's not about the teens. It's about the... the way to go, it's about Steve. The way, but it's a, <laughs> it's a high school movie. And it's a and it's a high school comedy. Yeah, so is Grease, but I wouldn't say that it's well, a cousin. I wouldn't recommend Grease, but um, <laughs> I don't hate our audience that much. What the Grease. lesson in Grease is? You everything's great when you become a slut. <laughs> yeah, not the lesson of election. Um, but and then you die and go into heaven in a magic car. The end. And then your career kind of goes nowhere, and then you... I'm going to make you do Grease, oh, now that I know that... <laughs> and then you make uh, Look Who's Talking, and then you oh, do Pulp Fiction, oh, oh. and... 
But yeah, anyway, Election is a really funny movie. It's, a, it's what does his career chart? Oh my like? God, Travolta! It's like high down, high down. And now he's on the O.J. Simpson show. Yeah, is that him? Yeah, I, he I plays one of the lawyers on. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've watched yeah. it, and it's like, is, is that, that him? John Travolta? Did he get a stand-in to put on a John Travolta mask? Where are <laughs> That's we? Weird. Now, anyway, anyway election. I'm recommending Election. It's a, it's a funny movie. It's a really it's like a black it's, great it's a black comedy about the high oh, high yeah. school things and teachers doing very wrong things and uh, it's really funny and Matthew Broderick's in it and he's from the 80s. And that's my recommendation. <laughs> well, I'm going to recommend uh, after giving Steve a shit ton of crap <laughs> over his selection. I'm going to recommend a movie that is kind of the polar opposite. It was made in the 80s. Um, It is about teenagers. It is about teenagers interacting with one another. It's a little movie called River's Edge. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any of the information in front of me. Crispin Glover's in it. Go see it. Um, River's Edge is about teens interacting with one another. Des, that is, it is related to The Breakfast Club that way. There you go. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Want to know how they're interacting with each other? <laughs> Imagine if The Breakfast Club, um, Andrew kills Claire. <laughs> and then everyone else covers it up for... So it could have been the sequel to The Breakfast Club, really. <laughs> Yeah, it could have actually. That's that's a good that's point. A, Holy cow! That's a, that's a cynical thought. Anyway, it's a great movie. Everybody, there are so many actors in it that you'll be like, "Wow, they were young once." Yeah, they were, and they're in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't offhand. I seriously, where are my notes? Oh my god! Just trust me. Go look it up. <laughs> River's Edge. I can't tell you a whole lot about it without really wrecking it, but it's kind of like the darker part. It's like a darker half of where teen behavior can go. And Crispin Glover turns in a really great performance as kind of the instigator of, of the cover-up. He's not the one that committed the crime, but he is the one that convinces everyone else to cover up this 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 murder. Um, and I'm not really giving anything away in regards to that because that is what the movie is about. It is, <laughs> it's kind of up front. There is a completely naked girl <laughs> that you see several times in the film. Um, and it was one of, when it came out, it was one of those films that everyone was talking about. Um, I'm not really quite sure how it was critically received. I, I personally like it. It's definitely not a movie that I watch all that often, but when I was thinking about films that portray teens in ways that is more truthful to how teens are and River's Edge is based on a true story, um, uh, that movie sprung to mind. So, River's Edge, go find it. And while you're at it, find out who directed it and let me know. Because I, I had notes on it right here, and they're gone. You know what happens when you get older? Your heart dies, and your mind goes. <laughs> they left that last bit out of the breakfast club. <laughs> they did. You go senile. Yeah, so that's it. Steve and I both recommend Breakfast Club. Do you disagree with us? You're like, that movie is a piece of crap. Why couldn't you review a realistic teen comedy like Ten Things I Hate About yeah. You, you fucking old men? How dare you? 
Um, if you disagree with us, let us know. If you agree with us, let us know. Is there a movie that you think we're overlooking that needs to be um, reviewed that is at least 10 years old and considered a classic? Or is considered so awful that no one should ever see it ever again and is infamous <laughs> for its, its awfulness? And, well, we're not, we don't mean The Room. Stop asking us to review The Room. The, re- the Room is entertaining, and it's not 10 years old. <laughs> I realize that it was supposed to be a drama, but it's fucking hilarious if you haven't seen it. You should see The Room just to laugh your ass off. But it's not 10 years old. Ask us in 10 years when it's become a classic. Then we'll then we'll review it, right? Yeah, Steve? it needs to be critically rehabilitated first. How yeah. can you review it anyway? It, <laughs> yeah, nothing that happens in it has any bearing on anything else that happens in it, so... It, it's so bad it's entertaining so it kind of the reputation is that it's entertaining because it's bad the the review is in the recommendation <laughs> why do we need to do it stop telling us to do it and also Birdemic is the same yeah. thing stop telling us we're not a bad movie review podcast listener that I just made up to make a point <laughs> what about Troll 2 shut up <laughs> We're talking about movies that are so awful that it influenced movie making. None of those movies did that. You watch those movies to laugh at their awfulness, right? Yes, we have a premise. We have a yeah. focus, and we are not going and to depart from that. Technically, we, we did the two big ones. We did Heaven's Gate, and we did um, Ishtar. Yeah, don't make us do that I, again. Yeah, we're not going to go. It's, it's forever on the internet now. You can find yeah. it. Um, and I don't, I can't think of another one that that failed so miserably. Yeah. But you know what? Just because I can't think of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And you're probably thinking, oh, they don't know about this one. I'm going to let them know. You know why you need to do that? Because I've just proven by the loss of my notes <laughs> that I'm barely functioning as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forget my own name if Steve didn't call me it three times during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, please email, email us. It's it's great. Go to the Let Me Listen podcast website. Go to the contact page, and email is there. We've gotten plenty of people who sent us stuff and and said, "Hey, how about these movies?" And I'm like, "You guys are awesome." That's all. I'll, yeah, I'll add those to the list. We have an unending list of classic movies that we can review. And we already know what we're reviewing for the next one. Yeah. Because it's going to coincide with the movie release that we're dreading. Yep. It's it's going to be a case of podcast whiplash. <laughs> Where we were... See, right now, Steve and I are walking down a tunnel and there's a light up ahead. And we don't know if it's the end of the tunnel or a train in the shape of Superman. No. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that a train in the shape of Superman and Batman fighting each oh, other? Oh, no. And it's a really long train, too. <laughs> Unless you didn't catch our metaphor, we're probably going to be doing a special bonus episode reviewing Batman v Superman Dawn of a Franchise. <sighs> Hopefully, fingers crossed. Please. We're already shooting the That's... next one. Please come see this one. <laughs> but to to honor... That our next review will, will be the original Superman with Christopher. Yay! Guess guess how we're we're gonna review. I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was that? 
<laughs> anyway, uh, that's it this time around. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Um, this has been Jason Harding. You can go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. And remember, folks, screws fall out all the time. The world is an imperfect place. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have specific data on screw falling out rates, but, I mean, it sounded good to me. I've, I've never seen a screw fall out ever. But, it I mean, it has to happen. Well, yeah, I didn't say it didn't have to happen, but you can't use that to justify how the entire world works because a screw falls out. I mean, you put in a screw, it falls out. No, it doesn't. Screws stay in all the time. Oh. Well, never mind. <laughs> this is the worst pull ever. Sorry. <laughs> Pick another one. When you grow up, your heart dies. We did that one already. <laughs> I got it. No, You've no, no. Okay, like I got. I got a better one. I got a better one. Um, okay. You look a lot better without all that black shit under your eyes. I like that black shit. I'm expressing myself. Why do I have to change to get a boyfriend? What's wrong with you? Give me my pencil back. I'm gonna draw it back in my eyes. And all another thing. Who cured my dandruff? I had dandruff at the beginning of the movie, and now I don't have it anymore. How did that happen? Where's all my baggy black clothing? Stop trying to change me! Why am I here again? Oh yeah, that's right. I had nothing better to do. Which is that... the story of this podcast, I think, too, isn't it? <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Let Me Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmelistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Let Me Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening.